reality a podcast that combines lived experience with the scientific knowledge of burnout to help listeners prevent recover and grow from burnout my name is shannon swales a human and clinical psychologist with both lived experience and scientific knowledge and skills in burnout it is my hope that the values of authenticity compassion wisdom and community shine through in each and every episode of the pod Episodes that share my own and others' lived experiences of burnout and interviews experts, guests to help listeners build awareness and hope to prevent, recover and grow from burnout. The views, opinions, tips and the like expressed by myself or my guests are not a replacement of personalised therapy. Just like I have done for myself and many of my guests, I encourage those of you that are suffering to seek professional help. Episode 22 of the pod brings you Dr. Haley D. Quinn, a coach for women business owners, clinical supervisor for therapists and helping professionals, trainer and clinical psychologist. Haley is the founder and host of the podcast Welcome to Self with Dr. Haley D. Quinn. Haley assists women business owners change the way they relate to themselves and their work through the lens of compassion so they can build more sustainable ways of working, build businesses that thrive and live the full and meaningful lives they desire and deserve. Haley strongly believes that thriving women create thriving businesses. I first met Haley during my postgraduate studies where we were both studying clinical psychology. Fast forward a number of years when I reconnected with Haley in the capacity of supervisory support and development in compassion-focused therapy. Haley holds a special place in my heart because her support allowed me to flourish and grow, not just professionally, but personally. She is one of my compassionate guides. She showed me what it means to be tr- truly compassionate to self and others. This is why I had to have her on the pod to share her wisdom on compassion and how it can assist you in preventing, recovering and growing from burnout. Hi Hayley and welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for your willingness to come on and share your wisdom with us all on compassion and burnout. My absolute pleasure. It's really nice to be invited. Fantastic to have you here. So first of all, if you can share with us a little bit about Dr. Haley D. Quinn, particularly what brings you here to talk about this topic of compassion and burnout. Okay, well, I've studied and worked in psychology for about the past 20 years. Um, I was a single mum during my studies um, and working, studying, raising my son kind of led me to some down the track health concerns. I worked in a few places and then sort of settled in a group practice where we all worked for ourselves, but we shared a group practice space. And I started having more and more health concerns. And what I recognize now as as the lead into burnout. At the time, I had to make quite a difficult decision because I really enjoyed my work there. I really enjoyed the people I was working with. But I knew that I just couldn't keep going the way I was going so Mm. I left there and set up a small practice working from home Mm. and then as I managed to improve my health I sort of built my business up more and then sort of jumping forward to the pandemic Mm. I noticed and even prior to the pandemic I'd noticed that a lot of therapists were struggling struggling to prioritize themselves struggling with kind of overwork and overwhelm And then at the start of the pandemic, I actually started a, um, if you'd call it a support group, a connection Mm. group for other helping professionals where we would come together and talk about um, compassion and self-care and how we could best take care of ourselves whilst we worked. In recent times, I've expanded that group now to include women business owners 
through sort of feedback I'd got from people listening to my podcast and the work that I do. I'd also had a lot of training in compassion-focused therapy, CFT, and done training for other people in CFT as well. And I'd become very passionate about the benefits of compassion and taking Mm -hmm. care of ourselves, both through the work I was doing, but very much through my own lived experience Mm. and how I had recognised that compassion had made such a big difference to my life and how I treated myself when I was feeling kind of burnt out and how I now work with myself to prevent Mm -hmm. being burnt out again. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in this as a bit of a passion area. Yeah, and from your own lived experience, that really guided you to to needing to make some tricky changes, but and also learning about CFT in your in your practice as a clinical psych as well, and just mm-hmm. seeing the benefits of of compassion. So yeah, we're very lucky to have you here today to share all that wisdom of, of lived experience and your and your knowledge and expertise as well. Can you um share with us, you know, what what is compassion? <laughs> what, what does this mean? Good, good, good question. So when we think about self-compassion, I think we do need to start with, well, what even is compassion? Mm-hmm. And I always go back to the definition from Paul Gilbert, who is the, yeah, he is the founder of Compassion Focused Therapy. Um, and his definition is a sensitivity to suffering in ourself and others with a motivation to alleviate and prevent it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, many of us are very good at being sensitive to suffering in others and wanting to help. And we really need to include that self piece, Mm. Um, being sensitive to our own suffering, being moved by our own suffering. A lot of the time as human beings, we tend to like to avoid our own suffering, focus Mm. on other things. Um, So I think that's a really important part of that is actually including ourselves in that. Yeah. Yeah. I've always found uh, Paul Gilbert's definition, like that's the one that I utilise as well, simple but very clear on what we're talking about when we're talking about being compassionate towards ourselves or towards others. It's noticing suffering and taking action to alleviate it. Yeah, simple but powerful. Also, I also am familiar that those aspects or attributes of compassion, like because they're often out in society you know, you're talking about compassion and people can go, oh, you know, you know, this, oh, it's just about being kind. And well, it's not. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about, yeah, those attributes of compassion? Yeah. So kindness may be a, um, a quality of compassion, um, but it's not the whole story. Mm-hmm. And what's really important to remember is that courage is a big aspect of, of that is, Wisdom and courage are very important. Mm. It takes a lot to move towards suffering. Mm. It's not an easy thing to do, whether that's for somebody else's suffering. You know, we'll sometimes watch something on the television and maybe turn the television off because you don't want yeah. to see it. It's too distressing. Like it mm. takes courage to actually be close to suffering, whether it's in other people or ourselves. Um, and a yeah. lot of people don't see that as compassion when they're thinking oh it's just warm and fuzzy and kind it's actually it takes a lot of strength takes a lot of courage takes a lot Mm -hmm. of wisdom um if you were to see somebody drowning and you jump straight in the water to try and save them and then you realize actually you can't swim Mm. and that's not wise no you you are creating suffering you're not alleviating suffering um because now there's two people in the water that are potentially going to drown the compassionate action might be, I see somebody is struggling. I want to help them. I can't jump in the water because then we might both drown. So I'm going to call for help. Mm. That would be the wise choice, yeah? I got you, yeah. So, yeah, it takes wisdom and courage. I love how, because that was something that I struggled with recognising in terms of compassion when people actually like yourself would say to me that it was courageous that I would be in front of my clients and and you know um, present with their suffering and doing what I could to to alleviate that to work with them to help and I never saw that aspect I do now <laughs> but yeah compassion takes the aspect of it um compassion but also wisdom also wisdom too uh like you said 
you know, if we don't know how to swim, we don't jump in there. (laughs) Yeah, we do something else that's within our strength base. Yeah, our yeah strengths. Yeah. Yeah. Is there other attributes of of compassion? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, yes, so many. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think you know that's probably a a big, a big answer (laughs) for for today, but thinking about I mean there's there's different skills we need to learn in compassion there's the sensitivity we talk about the two psychologies of compassion the sensitivity so having that awareness having empathy being able to recognize and then also the motivation to alleviate and prevent so this commitment to doing something about it as well um when we think about it the another important thing is to remember that compassion is not an emotion compassion is a motivation um, there's different types of emotions that are linked with compassion. So if somebody were sitting with somebody at their end of life, mm. the feelings and emotions that may come up with that would be very different. So you, you're noticing the suffering of this person. You want to alleviate that. So you're going to be with them. You're going to talk with them. You're going to have connection and, and give them company. And you may be feeling quite sad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A firefighter is going to run into a burning building Mm. to try and save people in a burning building or put out Mm. fires. Then that's not somebody who's feeling sad. Mm. Yeah. The anxiety in that, they're they're Mm. putting their own life at risk. Um, It takes a lot of courage for both of those things to sit with somebody who's at end of life and to run into a burning building. But the emotions Mm. are very different. So compassion is not the emotion. Compassion is the motivation. Yeah. 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 Thank you for clearing that up. And yeah, just really that very clear difference. You can, yeah, compassion is not an emotion. It's a motivation. Yeah. So Hayley, how did you come to discover self-compassion in your life? Well, initially, I think, I can't remember what year it was, but I was certainly at university and I first read The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion by Christopher Germer. Um, Mm. I kind of look back now and think, I think I probably skimmed it a bit (laughs) 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 because maybe at the time I was extremely busy and overwhelmed and trying to do all the things and raise my son and work and study. And I think I probably had some of those thoughts that can be quite common for people. Well, if I'm too self-compassionate, maybe I won't work as hard as I need to work. If I'm too self-compassionate, maybe I won't get all the things done. And there was probably an element of me as well that was perhaps, well, do I really deserve to be this compassionate to myself? Mm. So that was the sort of the start of it. And then I did back in 2013, I did a training with um, Paul Gilbert and Dennis Tersh. Mm. And that was my introduction to like, oh, I like the sound of this. Mm. And then I went on to do lots of training with lots of different people in compassion-focused therapy, learned from some amazing people, Deborah Lee, Paul Gilbert, Mm. Russell Colts, Dennis and Laura Tersh, um, lots of people, and then went on to do training myself, um, Mm. training other people in compassion-focused therapy. Mm. And one of the trainings I did was with Dennis Tersh down in Byron Bay, and I think, I can't remember if it was 2015 or 17. And we had the opportunity to volunteer to do a role play or a real play. And at the time, I was really struggling with my chronic illness. And I put my hand up. I'd learned over the time at different trainings that actually, if you volunteer for role plays and things, Mm. it can be really, really helpful for your own personal growth. Mm. So I made that a bit of a thing that I would do for myself. And I used the example of my chronic illness. And we did something um, called chair work, which is something used in many therapies, but certainly in CFT, and worked with multiple selves. So we see ourselves not just as one version of ourselves, but multiple versions of self. Mm -hmm. Anxious self, sad self, angry self, etc. And in that experience, I was doing chair work with my anxious self and self-critic and compassionate self. And it became really apparent how many fears I had around being somebody that lived with chronic illness. And more alarmingly for me, it became so apparent of how self-critical I was Mm. um, around that. 
thankfully there was this piece around the compassionate self mm. and in that I had this experience of what felt for me like really meeting myself for the first time mm. and I can remember during that experience I literally just sat there and was like oh welcome to self mm. and that was really pivotal for me yeah really understanding and recognizing that no matter what I was going through, no matter what I was doing, no matter how productive or not I was, no matter how ill or what not I was, I am enough. Mm. And from there, that allowed me to start to really change the relationship that I had with myself Mm. from quite a harsh, self-critical relationship to one that now, thankfully, is more default to being self-compassionate. It didn't happen overnight. It mm. takes practice, but it was certainly the the start of a big shift yeah. in how I was towards myself. So it was yeah. little bits and knowing and hearing about things and learning about yeah. things, but then having that real experience where I really embodied um, yeah. being compassionate to myself actually felt like. Yeah, and that's that power of the chair work, isn't it, that you can really feel it, experience it and and be guided in that because you were guided by, did you say Dennis Turch? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in that practice. Wow. And it really highlights what you've already mentioned about compassion, compassion is a motivation, and you went from that very default self-criticism uh, motivation to, as you said, it was practice and time and it's an ongoing practice, but, yeah, more default compassion motivation now towards your suffering, which is ongoing. Yeah, it's not you, you, chronic illness, it's ongoing. Mm. Hayley, um, in your experience, how often do you find that people lack self-compassion or are highly self-critical, like you found yourself, who, who are burnt out, who are experiencing burnout? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the short answer is a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think an important thing is you, you can't work your way out of burnout. You can't get out of burnout the way you got into it. And when people tend to be more self-critical, yeah, that seems to be the trajectory. Well, if I just worked harder, mm. if I just did better, look at everybody else, they're all coping well. And we know that, you know, the world presents, particularly through social media, the world presents that everyone's coping really well. And we know that's not true. I mean, one of the important things for me with my own social media is showing up raw and real. Mm. You know, if things aren't going so well, then I'll talk about it. Um, if things are going well, I'll talk about it. I think we need to do both. Yeah. But we can get this sense that everybody else copes better than I do. And it's just mm. not true. So I think this this high self-criticism can certainly impact burnout and then when there's a lack of self-compassion there's not the same ability to recognize what it is that's happening for us Mm. not that same sensitivity to suffering yeah and then the other aspect I see often is people who get to burnout I'm not saying everybody but Mm. it's people with high perfectionism yeah 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 that push, push, strive, strive um, kind of mentality. Yeah, definitely. And they, they do, uh, the research does indicate that those aspects of perfectionism, the high expectations, that that unrelenting standards, that striving as, as you worded it, is, uh, yeah, is, is certainly a risk, an individual risk factor for burnout. So, and, and there is a, well, certainly with people that I've come across, including myself, that, um, that embody the, those behaviours, that perfectionism. Uh, and, yeah, and so you see that too and that can yeah. facilitate. Mm. I work with a lot of women in business and I think, you know, one of the things I always hold in mind is statistically we know that women are in more caring roles. So whether that's for children or elderly parents um, mm. and also tend to do a larger share of household tasks as well. And again, not everybody, but we do know statistically women do tend to do more of that. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing all those things and you're running a business or you're you're just employed at work, there's so much going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And particularly when perfectionism comes into it, Mm -hmm. that high achieving and high striving, 
yeah. a tendency to kind of take on perhaps more than we need to take on. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's also because yeah. in we, we know that burnout syndrome is is a primarily uh, it's a, a workplace or I like to often call it more role-based because like at home um, in your caring role as yeah, maybe the person who takes the lion's share of the the looking after the household, but the looking after the children or looking after elderly parents, very important as well. That um, so it doesn't have to just be the work role in our paid employment, um, mm. our non-paid work roles. But those are the instigating factors of, of burnout, um, and yeah, where there's a lot of care going out. Yeah. But you combine that with an individual factor like perfectionism, um, that it's like um, fuel to the fire <laughs> um, in terms of burning out. Yeah, mm. yeah. So we need to think about the internal factors, but we also need to think about the external factors that could be. Um, impacting as well because it isn't just a, this if you're burnt out this is because of you I mean there could be oh. things in your workplace there could be things in your home life there could be things that are outside of your control but that's yeah. the important piece as well is a lot of that might be outside of your control and then if you're trying to fix all that when actually you have no agency over fixing all that that's mm-hmm. going to also add to you burning out so thinking exactly. about what in this is within my control and what's not in my control yeah. and then putting your energy into the stuff of what that is within your control and what you can do differently. Yeah. And like when you were also sharing about compassion is that awareness that we're suffering as well, yeah. just made me think of the the piece around in terms of uh, helping with prevention and recovery from burnout is we have to be aware that we are not well, something's going on, that awareness piece um, and that compassion, being self-compassion involves being aware of suffering. Yeah. So that's such a, a key piece to this, uh, uh, yeah, the, the lack of self-compassion yeah. and burnout as well, that it can lead us not to be aware that we're suffering. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. That is an absolute key part. If we're not aware of suffering, we're not going to do anything about it because we don't know there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it might be for many people that the awareness comes from outside of yourself. It might be somebody else saying, you look like you're struggling. Mm. Gee, you're taking on a lot. When did you last have a break? Do you think you need a holiday? Um, that sort of mm. stuff. Yeah. I think the more we can change the relationship with ourselves, mm. and for me it came from a, you know, not seeing it until I was, it was so obvious. It was like, a, you, know, yeah. <laughs> you are going to see it now, Hayley. <laughs> a, ma- a Mack truck, I think I, I've had a guest on on the pod use that phrase. Yeah. Like it was a Mack truck was the one that kind of, yeah, yeah. she couldn't not see it anymore. Can't, yeah. Exactly. You can't, when you can't get out of bed because you're so mm. unwell, you kind of have to see it. Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. to keep cancelling work because you're so unwell. You have to go, oh, actually, maybe something's not quite right. Um, yeah. But if we can change the relationship we have with ourselves and we can be more tuned in to how we're feeling and that we have needs and that it's okay for us to express those, um, mm. then we can be more aware of actually mm. if things aren't quite right for me right now. And then we can start to do something about it. We can be more gentle towards ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're more likely you're talk, talking about how do we recover or how do we prevent? It's like, well, then we're more likely mm. to do what's helpful rather than mm. what's harmful yeah Um, we'll we'll take a rest when we need it Mm. or perhaps we'll start saying no more often when Mm. we're feeling overwhelmed or burdened or it's something we don't want to do Mm. so yeah that piece and thank you for sharing that like how does self-compassion then help us in in preventing or if we're already there recovering from burnout like you said see the suffering and make choices to alleviate that suffering uh like the rest, the breaks, the, yeah, changing things up, yeah. Is there anything else that that you notice around self-compassion and, and helping in, in that, yeah, recovery or prevention from burnout? I think it's really that, you know, that piece around being aware of what you need and tuning mm-hmm. into what you need mm-hmm. and actually having the commitment to do something about it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And again, there can be so, I mean, there's so many factors to this, isn't there? Depending where somebody's at in their life and how they feel mm. about themselves and all sorts of things um, that can impact on whether they're going to do things that are helpful. Mm. 
So I, I really do keep coming back to this. You know, if we change the relationship we have with ourselves mm. and we do things differently. Yeah. If yeah. I'd have experienced this, you know, 20 years ago, mm. 30 years ago, I don't know I would have taken care of myself and made the decisions that I made the way I did later on in my life when I changed, you know, changed that relationship. Um, Like yesterday I woke up, I'd done a post on my socials about I'd woken up feeling unwell Mm. and I've got a lot to do at the moment. I'm I'm building new aspects of my business. I've got Mm. lots I wanted to get on with. Part of me showed up really frustrated. It's like, oh, I don't want to be unwell. Um, mm. But I was. Mm. And I was able to, instead of getting caught up in like, oh, this is really frustrating, but I just need to push on. Mm. Instead of sitting in my office where the chair isn't as comfortable and, you know, mm. engaging in in tasks that would have had more cognitive load, I made a choice to take my computer to the lounge, sit comfortably, you know, mm. do some little tasks that I wanted to get done but didn't engage in anything too heavy, stopped, mm. turned my computer off, rested when I wanted to, watched a bit of a show, had a break, made sure I had lunch, mm. did a little bit more work. So I still got some things done. Yeah. But ultimately I took care of my health. Yeah. And gave myself permission to do something or nothing so that I could take care of myself. Now, that's because I was sensitive to my suffering mm-hmm. and I was motivated to prevent that suffering. I did not want the rest of the week mm. or my weekend to be me in bed because I got sick because I was just pushing through. Yeah. I, I feel like, and maybe this is, no, I'm going to own it. I Compassion is key. Like the compassion, so. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just fundamental. It's it's almost like I feel like it's this. I don't feel like the backbone of of anything. You know, um, it, it's just that if we have compassion for ourselves and for others, it, yeah, just the choices we make with what's presented with us on that day, like your experience there, that you can't control the fact that you're feeling unwell that your body is unwell on that day, you can choose how you respond to it. But if you were 20 years ago, that critical self-motivated um, space that you were in, it would have looked a lot different to being um, coming from that compassionate motivation, compassionate self that you are now. Yeah, amazing. That, hence why I say it's key. And, and my own personal experience as well, um, yeah, it's absolutely. just key. Yeah. Absolutely. And if we yeah. think about it in a different way, like if somebody is is in burnout, mm. ideally, and again, I, I know I come from a place of privilege, I can make different choices, I run my own business, I can choose to work the hours I want, etc. But ideally, if somebody's in burnout, ideally, they need to stop. Yeah. yeah? Mm. I said it earlier, you can't work your way out of burnout. Ideally, so I get that not everybody can do this. And if you can't do that, I think it's important to say, okay, what is the smallest thing that I can do for myself? Can I make sure I'm hydrated properly? Can I make sure that I've got some nutritious food on board? Can I take three or four breaks of a minute during Mm. the day where I close my eyes and take five breaths? Mm. Little things. Can I go and talk to a colleague or a friend and just let them know that I'm having a crappy day? Mm. even just saying to yourself today is really hard Mm. this feels really tough for me and I'm in a position where right now I can't change it even just acknowledging that for yourself but ideally if you can you need to stop and you need to rest Mm. because Mm. you are burnt out then there will come a time where you need to not rest all the time Mm-hmm. And you need to start doing more. Now, I talked about, you know, yesterday I kind of gave myself some space and grace and was like, just do the work that you want to do, rest when you need, you're not well, take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. I also want to get into regular habits of movement and walking. Mm-hmm. And boy, that's something I struggle with. Mm-hmm. So compassion can look like take it easy. Just do what you need. Go sit on the couch with your computer. Mm. 
make a hot lemon drink. Mm. It's all right, darling, just take care. And it can also look like, come on, Haley, <laughs> what is your future self going to wish you did right now? Mm. What is it going to mean if you don't go for a walk? Mm. Can you go and put on your shoes and get outside of the house and go for a walk. Mm. Because long term, if you don't, you're going to experience more suffering. Mm. So come on, girl. <laughs> get your shoes on. Mm. Get out that door and go for a walk. Yeah. Now, they, they, they're quite different, right? Yeah. But they're yeah. both compassionate. Mm. It's like, is it almost like an attitude? I mean, know it's a motivation, but I feel like it's an attitude as well, or, or like it's just how you show up for yourself in that moment. Because it's it just sounded very encouraging, very empowering how you were being with yourself in encouraging you to engage in an activity that's that's hard for you to get into practice with. I just, yeah, I just, I don't know. That's just what I felt, and and um, as you were sharing that with us, yeah. Yeah, so there's times where I can be my compassionate caregiver, should we say, mm. my my nurturer, um, mm-hmm. and there's times I could be my compassionate cheerleader, mm. yeah? And there could be times I could be my compassionate, um, what would it be? Maybe, maybe coach, I could coach mm. myself a bit. Um, so there's different aspects. I love that. What yeah. That might be like, yeah. Yeah. I love like the different compassionate selves because I've always just like yeah. sort of one compassionate self, but I love that compassionate coach, compassionate caregiver, compassionate um, cheerleader. That's yeah. really cool. Like because it each situation is going to be a, a little bit different, um, and what you need there, and and sometimes it's a bit of uh, trial and error too. I imagine as well, or it has been for me in terms of figuring out what type of compassion I, I never thought about in that way, but what kind of compassionate response I need at that time mm-hmm. and sometimes getting it wrong, but but then being compassionate for myself for <laughs> getting it wrong as well. Absolutely. It's okay. It's okay. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Kelly, I, I realise you know, through my own practice but also with working with people as well that it's challenging to be compassionate, particularly towards ourselves. And I was wondering if you can share with us some of those common challenges that, you have noticed in the work that you do with, yeah, being compassionate towards ourselves? Yeah, yeah, great question. Well, in compassion-focused therapy, we say the fears, blocks and resistances to compassion is the work, mm-hmm. yeah, because we know that's a really normal response, yeah. There's mm-hmm. lots of, I mean, gosh, there's even a, you know, fears of compassion scale that Paul yeah. and colleagues developed, which tells us that you're not the only one that fears compassion, Um mm-hmm. So understanding that, yes, there are fears, blocks and resistances and misunderstandings. So when we are working with people, it's important to get on the same page of what compassion actually means. But then thinking about what are some of the things that show up for people when they think about compassion and not even when they're practicing it, but when they're even entertaining the fact that compassion is a thing, yeah, Mm. can already start to bring this stuff up. And I think normalizing and validating that that that's how we are as humans, yeah? Yeah. One of the things that can happen when we're trying to build a compassionate mind with somebody, we're trying to get them to practice compassion, mm. is it can trigger the threat system, particularly if somebody is um has a history of trauma. Mm. So we know that moving towards compassion can actually be quite threatening for some people. And again, depending if you're working with somebody trying to work through this by yourself or you're working with somebody, there's different aspects of this that you would you would be working on. There's different beliefs that people have around, you know, I don't believe I don't deserve Mm. compassion. Mm. I don't deserve Mm. to be compassionate to myself. I don't deserve compassion from others. Um, There might be beliefs around, you know, being self-compassionate is selfish, Mm. you know shouldn't be thinking about myself I should be thinking about others and again it's going to it's going to depend on your own life history the kind of beliefs you've developed about yourself and others in the world yeah so yeah lots of stuff can come up around that yeah 
Is there any, because you mentioned earlier in your own discovery of self-compassion that some of these fears came, or, or stuff came up for you, challenges. I think one of them was the, I don't deserve it. Is that for yourself? Yeah. I think that, that was something that absolutely can show up. And also the, you know, if I start being self-compassionate, maybe I'll be letting myself off the hook. <laughs> maybe I won't get stuff done. Too soon. Maybe I'll become lazy. Yeah. You know, there's so much stuff. So, yeah. and, and again, I, I always come back to this, you know, getting to know yourself. Mm. Because when you can understand yourself better, mm. then you can move forward in the way you want to. Like mm. if you understand that, you know, you have a belief that if you're going to be self-compassionate, you're going to end up lazy and never get anything done. You can mm. start to look and go, well, where, why would I believe that? Mm. What is it about my own history that leads me to think that being self-compassionate or resting is lazy and I'll never get anything done. Mm. Maybe every time you sat down to rest mm. as a young person, you were told, you should be out doing something, don't mm. be so lazy. You know, you hear yeah. that times from people, right? Yeah, that was definitely mine. Like, or it would, not necessarily calling lazy, but like there's something you could be doing. You could be out playing with your friends or or yeah. um, doing your homework or just something other than resting. <laughs> um, like, productivity, right? Yeah, and that was modelled as well through my parents and, and any kind of elder that I, I had around me. It was always quite productive, doing, 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 striving, 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 yeah. Mm. Mm. So we yeah. underestimate the, the power and the need for rest. Yeah. And we overestimate the need for productivity. Yeah. 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 But it's really important what, well, what you're sharing there around like, okay, it's very normal to have these fears or beliefs around what being compassionate towards yourself is, but what could help us work through them so they don't block us from being compassionate towards ourselves. Walking in that direction is that, to explore, to explore where does this come from, you know, like where in my history uh, and just creating, I gather, some space for that um, exploration, yeah. So I think exploring and understanding what is it about my own history that helps me understand why I feel this way Mm. and then being willing to practice. Mm. What if I just tried one of these exercises or what if I just tried to speak to myself the way I would speak to my dear friend and then just see what that's like and maybe understanding that when I first start doing it, it might feel uncomfortable. Mm, yeah? Mm, yeah. New pair of shoes, right? You put them on, they're not really very comfortable. Once you've walked in them a while, they kind of settle into your feet. Almost like an experiment. I feel like a sense of experimentation, yeah. <laughs> like a willingness to experiment and knowing that it's, yeah, not going to feel Right, just like a new pair of shoes, totally true. Um, Yeah, but give it some time, experiment, play maybe. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's different um, exercises and things that we can use and do, Mm. and they're not going to suit everybody. Mm. You know, I might like some others that you don't like, Mm. and you might find a particular way of doing something helpful that I might not. So there's lots of different ways to get to this place of embodying compassion. But I think that's the other important thing is that this is not an intellectual exercise. Mm. Yes, we want to understand stuff around compassion, but we don't want to just stay in our heads with it. We actually want to embody it. We want to feel what does Mm. this feel like when I'm being compassionate to myself? Yeah, so you have to experience it, like, yeah, yeah, and a willingness to experience it to actually know how it feels. You can't, yeah, it's it's not an intellect thing, yeah. Yeah. And on that, like, on that line of uh, what you're sharing, that there's many ways in which to practice this and the need to do that, yeah, I I wonder if you could or or if you'd like to share a particular technique or or talk to some techniques that, um, yeah, that you you utilize um, yeah. or share so I mentioned before you know thinking about what might you say to a dear friend or loved mm-hmm. one if they were in the same position as you so imagining that they've told you that same story and what would you how would you respond to them and then actually offering that to yourself can be one of the I've found with people the easier ways for them to really understand what a compassionate response for themselves might be like. Some people will still struggle with that. Mm. Um, the other that I use a lot, people that know me, <laughs> see, mm-hmm. I've often got my hand over my heart. 
one or two of my hands. And mm. you know, if you just take a moment to do that now, just sort of mm. pop your hand on your heart and just notice how that feels. You may notice a, a sense of warmth from your hand into your body. Mm. As you're holding your hand over your heart, just notice how your body feels and perhaps what your breath might be doing. Mm. And oftentimes we find that actually that's quite a quick hack to slowing the nervous system down. Yeah, I did notice that like there was my, my breath deepened just without me telling it to. And a warmth, like it felt like a a hug. Yeah. <laughs> Almost like a this, you know, when you hug someone, you feel that warmth in yeah. the chest area. So I just put my my hands and I've got both my hands. I, I, I like to use both. Um yeah, it just felt like a hug. Yeah, warm hug. So that's sort of you can give yourself that hug mm. one, ten, fifty, a hundred times a day if you want, you know. Yeah. Um, that's a cool hack. Yeah. It's something very yeah. simple yet powerful. Yeah. And the great thing about these things is they're free, right? Yeah. Well, no, matter your, no matter your situation, you, everyone can afford to do this. Yeah. Um, the other one that I use a lot for myself and talk with people about, and again, it seems so simple, but it's just taking a moment mm. to slow down. Mm. If you're walking, just slow your pace. If you're somewhere where you can just sit for a minute, just sit. Slow down. Regulate your breath. Just equal in and out breaths. And then just ask yourself, how are you? Mm. How are you feeling? Mm. What do I need right now? Mm. Yeah. And that could be anything from, wow, my mouth's a bit dry, I need a drink, to I need to have a really difficult conversation with somebody. Mm. Or... I need to think about how I'm running my business because it's just not working for me. Or it might be, you know what, I actually need to factor some time off or I need to go and sit down because my legs are hurting. Or, mm. Yeah. The pausing and slowing down, I, that question, because I often ask myself in those moments and in, in practicing in that way, what do I need? But I loved, I feel like I want to yeah, practice the how are you going? Because yeah. I often find I want that from other people, you know, and, and I, I'm lucky enough to have some people who will, yeah. but that maybe I can always ask myself that. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm going to add that to the practice. How are you going? Yeah. Like, what would it be like if you were your own best friend? Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is the thing for me, is, and I, and I, I know I keep coming back to it. <laughs> <laughs> Changing the relationship you have with yourself is so powerful. Mm. So powerful. Yeah, totally. And then there's various meditations mm. that um, we can engage in. There's compassionate other where we bring to mind a compassionate other and what qualities they have and you know, how they might speak to us in tone of voice and everything. We mm. can do meditations around a compassionate self, imagining our compassionate self. There's lots and lots. There's compassionate colour imagery. There's bringing to mind a compassionate memory, um, place of contentment. There's so many. Mm. I I have one that mm. I have with me as well that I mm. would be more than happy to share with your okay. audience if that's something you think would be I would love to. Can I just ask, what's the power of utilising meditation as a way to help build compassion and, and whether that's compassion for others or for ourselves? Just that, yeah, what does it add, meditation? In terms of imagery? Well, just in a, it's just that practice because there's you've shared already a lot of uh, ways in which you can go about cultivating compassion for self, better actions, that, you know, like the hand on the heart, but with meditation, guided meditations, what do you find that helps with or how that helps people with embodying compassion? Okay, so I'm not speaking from the research here. I'm speaking yeah. from my experience of, of my own practice and working with other people. So for me, I think there's a couple of things that come into it with meditation. One, it's that practice of slowing. Yeah. Slowing down, regulating the nervous system. Yeah. 
I think when we slow down, we have access to so much wisdom. I mean, as human beings, we have immense wisdom and there'll be people listening going, oh, I don't. It's like, well, you do. (laughs) But we, we often have so much noise going on internally through lots of thinking and externally through all the stimuli we have in the world that we don't actually get a chance to hear the wisdom. So slowing down, regulating the nervous system, I believe allows us to hear that. The other thing we do when we're in guided meditation is often we're being asked to bring to mind an image. And if you think about, and if I was to say to you, you know, what is your favorite type of cake? What would your favorite type of cake be? Just anything chocolate came into it straight away. Yeah, and I, do. I mean, really <laughs> like chocolate. I'm like, hope so. I just saw, I just said, I just saw brown. Yeah. <laughs> Deep brown came into it. So my... if I were to bring to you, if we were in the same room together, obviously we're not, we're on Zoom, but mm-hmm. if I was in the same room with you and I brought in a beautiful, lavish chocolate cake with all beautiful chocolatey, ganache, icingy stuff, <laughs> and what would start to happen, do you think, in your oh. mind? Right now it's happening, just the saliva building up, yeah. And there is, a, not that I can taste it, but there's an anticipation to taste it. Um, but, but even yes. that, 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 even imagining that mm. I'm walking in the room with chocolate cake for you to eat has the same impact, doesn't it, of you yeah. actually being in the room with me and I'm approaching you with the chocolate cake. Like already you're salivating. Mm. I'm sure there's plenty of other people listening that are salivating too. I know. And be like, like, oh no, everyone's going to have to go and eat chocolate cake. And they'll be like, Hayley, you're <laughs> obsessing about chocolate cake all day. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be my lunch now. Yeah. <laughs> choices, choices, my. <laughs> but hey, yeah, so yeah, yeah, meditation. So when we're bringing this imagery, when we're imagining a compassionate other giving us compassion, we experience what that feels like, even though there's not somebody else there doing that for us yeah thank you thank you yeah yeah just really opening up because I know some people there's like like so many beliefs or misunderstandings around meditation how that helps facilitate something like this so thank you for sharing that wisdom because it yeah it certainly highlights the power of this kind of practice but Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I'd I'd love to for you to share one of your um, meditations if that's yeah Yeah. just one other point I'll make is there are people who can't bring to mind images that's just something that that they don't have capacity to do and that doesn't mean you can't experience embodying compassion yeah Mm -hmm. so if that if that were the case and you were working with somebody and they're saying just imagine this just imagine that just let them know this yeah. is something that actually I struggle with. I can't bring a particular image because it's about getting a felt sense that mm. so we don't need these perfect images in our mind. And again, perfect, if you're a perfectionist, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be imagining this, you know, this other person or animal or, you know, whatever it might be that's going to be the compassionate other and I can't do that. And then you get caught up in your head worrying that you can't do the task properly. That's mm-hmm. not what it's about. It could just be a fleeting image. It could be an image that changed. It's about the felt sense. Mm-hmm. So I hope Thank that's you. helpful as well. Definitely helpful because I remember when I first got introduced to meditation and being a perfectionist at the time or that having quite a hold on me at that time, I did that <laughs> but learned to, to let that go. So very important because um, imagery was hard for me. Funny enough, it's become a lot more easier for me. But uh, yeah, I think one of my one of the things that makes me quite sad when people say, "Oh, I don't, I don't want to do mindfulness. I don't find mindfulness helpful because mm-hmm. I can't clear my mind." Yeah, and that really makes me sad. And it's like, well, of course you can't because you've got a human mind, and our human minds are made for thinking, and yeah. we often have, you know, that monkey mind chatter, chatter, chatter. And it's not about clearing your mind; it's about noticing yeah. what's going on in your mind. Yeah. Again, if we can bring compassion to this, Mm. it's like, I find this really hard. This is something I'm struggling with. It's okay. I'm doing the best I can. I'm going to practice rather than, oh, God, everyone else can do mindfulness. I can't. My my mind won't shut off, Mm. you know? So I think it's always an opportunity to bring compassion to yourself. Definitely, even in the practice, certainly. Well, let's, yeah, let's give this a go. (laughs) Okay. So I invite you to sit, preferably in an upright position or whatever is comfortable for your body. 
and remembering to only engage in this practice to the level that you feel comfortable. Knowing that you can come out of the practice at any time and rejoin the practice if that feels helpful. So perhaps have your feet flat on the floor with your hands gently on your lap. And you might like to roll your shoulders up and back so you've got a nice open diaphragm. Always remembering to do what is comfortable for your body. If you feel comfortable, just closing your eyes or gently resting your gaze in front of you. And take a moment and just notice how it feels to be you sitting in the chair. Notice the points of contact between you and where you're sitting. Notice any thoughts or feelings that show up as you settle into this moment. Try your best just to be curious and non-judgmental. Now I invite you to gently bring your attention to the tip of your nose and start to notice your breath. Noticing the breath in and the breath out and perhaps noticing any change in air temperature as you breathe in and out. You might like to follow the in-breath deep into the belly. Noticing how your belly expands as you breathe in. And again, just noticing any thoughts or feelings as you do this. Just being curious about how your mind works. What it seems to pay attention to whether it gets fidgety and jumpy or wants to wander off. If you notice that it's doing that, remember you have a choice. You can follow your mind where it wants to take you or you can gently bring your attention back to a point of your breath. Maybe the sensation of air in the nostrils as you're breathing in and out. Or the rise and fall of your belly and your chest. Or even just a particular point of breath as you breathe in and you breathe out. Now I invite you to gently slow down the breath a little more. Focusing on slow, rhythmic, equal in and out breaths. Allowing your breath to find its own soothing rhythm. Noticing how your mind and your body feel as your breath slows down. Just allow yourself to be still and slow. Knowing that right now, the only place you need to be is here.
your mind may disagree and start to remind you of all the things that you have to do, perhaps what you should be doing. As best as you can, just notice if this is happening and then gently bring your attention back to your breath. The mind is just doing what the mind does. Bring your attention to how it feels to just be sitting still in this moment with your slow breath. If you're drawn to, you can just put a hand over your heart centre and just notice the feeling of your hand. You might perhaps notice a warmth flowing into your body. Notice any changes to your breath as you do this. And then I invite you to gently bring to mind the suffering you've experienced this week. Perhaps in this moment, not something too distressing. Just some of the suffering you've experienced this week. And see if you can be with that suffering, with kindness and compassion, as you would be with a dear friend. Asking yourself, what is it that I need to take care of myself? What would be helpful for me? What do I want? If you need to slow down your breath a little bit, just gently do that. See if you can allow yourself to listen to what it is that you need or want. Always remembering that if this feels overwhelming, you can bring yourself out of the practice. If this happens, you may like to refocus on your breath or something external to you. And if you choose to return to the practice, you can close your eyes and come back. Notice any barriers or blocks to being able to offer yourself what you need or want. How might you work towards easing those blocks or barriers? Is this something you can do for yourself? Or do you need the help of someone else? Now take a moment to bring to mind 
the intention to be helpful, not harmful, to yourself and others. Start to notice how it feels to be sitting in the chair. Bring your attention to the points of contact between you and where you're sitting. Notice the sounds around you and the temperature of the air as it touches your skin. On the next in-breath, imagine breathing in love and self-compassion. And on the next out-breath, imagine breathing out love and compassion for others. May we all find ways to alleviate suffering in the world, the suffering of others, and the suffering that we experience ourselves. And as you feel ready, you can open your eyes and bring your attention back to the place where you are, giving your body a stretch or whatever you feel it needs right now. May you go well and go gently with yourself. Ah, so yeah. I would end something like that as well mm. by, and if you if you're happy to share, Shannon, with mm. um, how was that and what did you notice? Mm. Uh, happy to share. I I noticed it took me a bit to settle into the practice, just as you mentioned, the monkey mind <laughs> was a little active. Not too bad, like you know, but she was certainly on that guidance to focus on the breath and that yeah that grounding I was able to get into that space so I noticed that I noticed my monkey mind to begin with uh to settle into it and um you know that hand to heart is such a supportive mechanism for me as I as you guided and I connected with suffering this week and that really helped to just be present with it and to allow myself to connect with that suffering. And yeah, just like some way, a way forward I'd already thought about, but a way forward that felt more connected with compassion for myself, but compassion for the other person that is involved as well. So yeah, like the motivation, I suppose, being in more of a compassionate motivation space with that suffering. Yeah. So that's what I know. Yeah. Yeah. Noticed. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So thank you. That was yeah very, very helpful <laughs> for myself, <laughs> and um, I hope for those out there as as well. But yeah, I did the monkey mind, and and even just some feelings that came with it certainly were were there to begin with, and it wasn't. Uh, it, it took a bit to get into the practice. Also, I I do practice meditation quite a bit, so <laughs> I I have been doing it for some time. Yeah, and I think really normalizing that as well. That even for those of us who have been practicing a long time, sometimes you try and meditate and your mind's just all over the place or you feel like you get into it and then all of a sudden your mind just oh, runs somewhere and it's run. like, actually during it too there was times where it started to, and it was like and and again that guidance to come back to the you know to the breath or just coming back to the practice but yeah it doesn't matter because yeah we all have a human mind yeah <laughs> yeah and like you mentioned beforehand, you know, that misconception that mindfulness is about clearing your mind. No, <laughs> uh, no, it's about noticing, as you said. Yeah. But thank you so much for for sharing that that piece, for sharing us the, the practice of compassion through meditation. That was really, really helpful. But Hayley, I suppose how can people get in touch with you? If they're wanting to tap more into your your wisdom, um, how can they reach you and and yeah, the work that you do? Okay, well, you can contact me via my website, which is drhaleydquinn.com. Um, I'm also on social media as Dr. Haley D. Quinn on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, 
I think that's all of them. <laughs> um. <laughs> I know I'm laughing with you on that one because yeah, I'm, I'm on that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. so well worth. I'm connected with Dr. Haley D. Quinn on her accounts and and like you shared, I think before you bring you show up. You know, you show up as you, and and I love that about your posts. That yeah, you, you, yeah, it's it's beautiful to connect with your your. Uh, I think it's particularly your Instagram, but I'm on your Facebook as well. <laughs> yeah, love it. So my website's going to be going through a little bit of a, a change. It's very much focused at um, other helping professionals at the moment. As I said, my business is expanding to women business owners, so that will um, I'll be on a different domain. Welcome to self. Yeah com.au but that's not set up quite yet i've got a morning reflection one of the other things i do i forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about it is mm-hmm. i will start my day with some reflective questions kind of greeting myself kindly and sort of like hey Haley, how are you going <laughs> um so that i can set myself up a bit for the day and i've put together a morning reflection so i'll send you the link for your show oh notes. lovely yes that'd be great. And, um, get a copy of that but otherwise, um, I also have my own podcast, Welcome to Self with Dr. Haley D. Quinn, and that's on all the platforms. I've got a opt-in for a mailing list as well in my bio on Instagram. You know how you have those. There's all different things. So, yeah, yeah probably socials or my website's the easiest way. Yeah. Or people can send me a message, and um, I'm happy to, yeah. if they've got a question, I, if I can answer it lovely so there's lots of ways that they can get in touch with you and and it sounds like your your website's a great hub in terms of connecting into all those pieces that you have your podcast welcome to self your your email address your instagram facebook linkedin that if yeah going there and thank you for feeling that change that's helping i suppose if happening i should say but like remembering those welcome to self because that's what's your new domain's going to be Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That that moment so, in Byron Bay has become my wow. company name, which is yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, it feels really lovely actually. It's oh. uh, very so common. Yeah. So remember Dr. Haley D. Queen, because that's your current um domain, and welcome to self, which is your podcast name, but will be your domain with moving yeah. into yeah, biz, uh coaching for, for business women. Yeah. 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 All around. How do we um how do we thrive whilst creating thriving businesses? So oh. But the, the, the business women will be uh, certainly very, very lucky to have you. Um, I can speak from experience for that. But um, I will leave all, all Haley's details in the uh, bio for this episode anyway, so you'll be able to find that there. But thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart, Haley, for, for sharing all your wisdom today with us. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No worries at all. Take care. <laughs> Thank you for listening to When Burnout Becomes Reality podcast. This pod relies on the power of its listeners to push it out to the four corners of the earth in hope that it reaches as many people in need as possible. So please like, share, follow, comment, or leave a review. Pay it forward and I will be forever grateful. If you'd like to share your burnout to recover experience or you are an expert working in the burnout field and would like to share your wisdom on the pod, please email me at shannonswales at burnoutpsychologysupport.com. To keep up to date with episode releases, please follow us on your favourite podcast provider or by joining our mailing list, at www.burnoutpsychologysupport.com To check out the Burnout Psychology Services on offer at Burnout Psychology Support, my telehealth practice, visit www.burnoutpsychologysupport.com forward slash psychology services. Once again, thank you for listening and please take care of yourself. Bye for now. Thank you.